With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm here, Ed McGrogan, with Pete Bodo, Richard Pagliaro. We'd like to uh, talk today about Miami, the latest hardcore Masters event in the uh, cross-country tour that takes place in the month of March here, um, and it's going to start it already underway. Women's main draw began um, and the men gets are getting going right now, actually. So um, Pete will be traveling. You'll be going down there for what seems like the how many years? How many Don't years? Even ask. Don't even ask. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long. I time. mean, you. I mean, <laughs> point being, you've you've been there for many many years. Uh, you know, what do you enjoy about the event? Just attending it, basically, because you know you could obviously be going to different tournaments if you wanted, but you do have some connection to Miami. Well, like everything else that's happened, you know, that happened in Miami at large, it's the Latin influence has been a tremendous boost, I think, and benefit to the tournament. Um, the additional color, the kind of, you know, the vibrancy you get. There are a lot of Latin Americans in Miami this time of year, plus, of course, the native Cuban communities and and others who are residents there. And it just makes it a very fun, you know, enjoyable time that people really get into it. Uh, I think they've struggled a little bit lately, as attested by the fact that Roger and, and Rafa are skipping it. That's not really a very good sign, you know, for the future, I think, of this tournament. Um, I mean, not that the tournament is going to disappear but uh you know in terms of the credibility and the the reputation of the tournament it's gonna be tough one thing one thing before we get into roger and rafa that was obviously a point we're going to talk about but that latin american influence down there within the crowd it's always mentioned in broadcast that's not cliche it's it's definitely a a, a, something you can feel down there particularly when their matches are going on center court maybe a big one with del potro monaco players like that well i'll tell you if you when you've got a a juan monaco playing a marty fish and most of the crowd is from monaco you know you're you're in in kind of unexplored territory it's not like delray beach for instance where you know where the opposite would be true but no it's palpable and you know it's not excessive it's it's never really gone over the line i don't think for it but there's there's a, just a robust feeling that this is well, you know, uh, Butch Buckholz, the founder of the tournament, you know, had hoped to make it like the fifth Grand Slam at one point, but then he realized as time went on that you know maybe a better way to position it would be as the Latin, the Grand Slam of Latin America, and they've dropped that a little bit. I kind of thought it was maybe a mistake for him not to go with clay courts, because you know you you know especially now when you and look that at would lead right into Europe exactly too. Well, exactly, and it will lead to Europe. And it would, you know, obviously please the Latin players, but of course, you know, politics being what they are, and of course, and and even Butch Buckholz's needs and preferences, you know, um, here we are with a hard court event. But, the, but you know, but these days, who, you know, what's there's not a huge difference these days, you know, between hard and clay courts in terms of court speed. Yep, exactly. 
Yeah, Roger and Rafa, obviously that's one of the major topics, and and they won't even hit a ball in their major topic of the event. It's, um, you know, one of the few times uh, that it's never happened in this event, certainly for quite a while, that, that the top two players are just not going to be here. Sorry, not the top two, but, you know, two of the biggest names are, of course, not going to show up here. Nadal was expected to pull out um, shortly after Indian Wells. He did, I think, just before the final. Federer called off this event a while ago when he was making his schedule. Um, you know, what's the impact, Richard, perhaps not only from maybe from both the playing, the player perspective, as well as the fans' perspective? Because there is a, it definitely affects both entities here. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty Significant because you're talking about two of the most recognizable, identifiable, and popular players in the game. And, you know, two guys that were with IMG, which owns a tournament, left IMG, so people speculate maybe that's a little bit of it. But I think the back-to-back toll, you know, Federer's dealing with the back injury, Nadal coming back from the knee injury. I mean, I can't blame Nadal. I just can't blame him for skipping it. It's it's tough schedule and go cross-country, and he's never won that tournament. It's not – I mean, he's played well there. He's got to the final, but he's – He's not won it, so I, I don't think the conditions are as favorable to him as as Indian Wells. Yeah, it's another good sign though that that you know this is looked. I mean, they've they've made this deal that the Master Series is going to be there. Things where everybody plays, and that clearly is looks like it's maybe going by the boards a little bit, as it might be in the summer too, with the two big hardcore Masters back to back. And I don't think anybody anticipated that when they set up the schedule. I think all the players agreed. Yeah, this is not onerous. We could actually make these commitments to play all these tournaments. And as it always happens in the fall, too, very similar. And it seems like only recently trickling back in the schedule now. And uh, But Federer and Nadal, they do, I guess, they do have those exemptions, I believe, with years of service, something to that effect. I know at least Federer does. I think uh, that's why you saw what his schedule is, what it was this year. But but it's, it's a uh, happening that... I don't think it's going to cause fans to put an asterisk on the eventual champion of this event. Uh, this is still a very good field. And, you know, I think one of the times I remember Federer and Nadal pulling out of a match tournament was the famous in- instance in Hamburg after they played their Rome final. In Hamburg, the final, anybody remember the Rome final or the Hamburg final that year? I was just going to ask you. Now I'm really curious. Any guesses? Can you name even one of them, Richard? I'm going to guess... Um... I'm going to guess Davidenko, but that's a wild It's a good guess. guess. I remembered one was was Tommy Robredo, and he lo- and he won over Radek Stepanek. <sighs> so now the fear might be that you end up with something akin to like that at this event. I I don't think that's the case. I think this is going to. I think first of all, this is a much bigger field than that event was. But I I just still think overall that the the men's field is still top heavy enough where I think you're going to end up with kind of a top-heavy end of this tournament. And, uh, you know, I, I think talking about some of the main guys, Djokovic, Murray, of course, Murray, uh, both of them, I think, you know, both of them have won this event, I believe. And um, and I think many of the other players just below them, Del Potro, are probably a good example. Um, it would still be a pretty big surprise to me if one of the conventional uh Champions of recent times didn't do very well at this event. You, you know? got five real quality hardcore players: Tsonga, Berdic, uh, Delpo, Djokovic, and Murray. I mean, you know, <clears throat> yeah, there's no shortage of talent, and, and especially hardcore talent in this one. Yeah, and, and you know, I think, uh, and some of those guys do with the with the pullouts of Federer and Nadal do get 
significant bumps in their seeding too, where they're going to be leading quarters of the draw. You know, Ferrer is another guy you didn't mention, but he'll be the three seed. Burdich will actually have his own quarter of the draw as the four seed. Um, so, it, you know, the path even to them in, in some way, it, it will definitely be easier without Federer Nadal, of course. So I, you know, I do think there is room for kind of maybe what you saw at Indian Wells. I think Del Potro is a guy who a lot of people will be talking about for what he did in Indian Wells, of course. And what you mentioned about the Latin American influence, this is an event that you would think he would want to play certainly his best and he'll have plenty of support down there. Richard, you know, P touched on this today about Del Potro. You know, what are, what are your thoughts on, on Del Potro, particularly after what he did at Indian Wells? I mean, um, is he still kind of on the rise? Are we still waiting for him? Is he kind of is what he is at this point? But, you know, maybe just some thoughts on him after watching him play. I think that we, as, as well as he played, I don't think we've seen the best of Del Potro. What I liked, what he did at Indian Wells, not just coming back against Murray, coming back against Djokovic, the way he managed the match, and especially the Murray match, that he didn't just come out and try to, you know, I'm just going to blast him off the baseline using the slice to set up the forehand and really putting the onus on Murray. Like, you're going to have to create some offense. You're not just going to be able to stand back there and counter me hitting well. And also, I thought he served situationally pretty smart. He just didn't go heat all the time. And that match point against Djokovic when he threw down the the 133-mile-an-hour ace, it was significant. I think what you're seeing is, I think Del Potro is a much better match manager than he gets credit for. You think of him as big guy who just belts the ball. But I think he he really showed some subtlety there. And I think that's the next step for him. And he's talked a lot about trying to close at the net, not be a servant volleyer, but just try to, you know, use that aggression and finish at the net. I, th- I thought he showed some good variety, and, and I was encouraged how he played. That's a good point, too, about Murray, about making him come up with the offense there, which has always kind of been the strike against him, I think, for a while. But And look, Del Potro has beaten Nadal in Miami before. He's had good runs in Miami, and I, I think that that should be a good a good tournament for him. He's knocked, he's knocked at his door a lot. I mean, you're going right back to the Olympics, basically. Right. You know, he had a really, really close match with Federer. Then he beats Djokovic for a silver medal. I mean, for a bronze medal, rather. Um I just realized I probably made that mistake in a piece I wrote. I correct that. That's, <laughs> oh, you did. that's you why I'm that. the editor, Pete, and you're the writer. <laughs> Thank God for podcast, right? But uh, no, so he beat him in a bronze medal match. And, you know, Djokovic has, has sort of taken it to him a little bit since then um, in, in most of their meetings. But, you know, uh, you, I think he's and, – and I think he really had that match with Nadal. I think he kind of choked it away. He made some poor decisions. Or he, he could have been fatigued also going on. three sets back to back. The other thing I like about him, he's not intimidated by any of those guys. And he, he tries to impose – his uh, pace of play, like Derek Cahill pointed out on the telecast, like he's calling for the ball, kids, roll the balls down before Djokovic is going to serve. Just let him, you know, get your breath. Let him think about it. He's not afraid to do that. A lot of guys, they defer too much right. to those guys. Well, well, Djokovic wants to play this speed. We're going to, and he's not. I mean, he'll he'll do it his way, which which is good. For um, you know, we're obviously talking about Federer and Nadal before. The interesting parallel about them missing is that last week at Indian Wells, you have, as per usual, Williams sisters missing that event. So that's that event has always been hamstrung by those two omissions from the tournament, and they return this week. Um, Serena at world number one. If if you've forgotten, she hasn't played since Doha, where she lost to Azarenka in the final. Before that, it was the Australian Open. She lost to Sloane Stephens in the semis. Uh, she won a tournament before that in Brisbane, a pretty strong field there. So she's uh, played just three times this year um, and comes in really 
perhaps I don't know, per, maybe a question mark, maybe not. What I wanted to just ask you guys is, you know, how, you know, is this another instance of Miami where Serena comes in fresh, having not played the weeks before? Um, she's had unquestioned success at this tournament. You know, basically, do you think? Do you guys think this is her tournament to lose, as it has been for many, many years? I don't think yeah. so at all. Myself, I don't know. Who do you think, Rich? I and think- with the condition, we still know about Azarenka's uh, potential yeah. playing or not. This is still undecided as of this point. Well, I think you know she's a five-time champion. She loves playing there. It's a, one of the few tournaments where she says she feels the support. She goes to a lot of places, and people want to see her get upset or get knocked off because she's. She's such a great champion, but I think that's one of the places where she goes and she feels the people behind her. I, I would say she's she's a big favorite in my mind, even though she hasn't played, because I think she'll be real hungry, you know, especially, like you said, losing to Azarenka the last time around. I think I, I would be concerned about injuries with her, you know. The, the, she doesn't seem to be... She seems to be getting more and more injury prone, even if it's maybe not stuff that knocks her out of a tournament or causes her to withdraw. It just seems that there's always something with her. You know, I mean, in fact, it was in Miami, what, two years ago, was it? She was really all bandaged up and banged up there, and I think she lost that final. Um, there's been, you know, she's, you know, yeah, she's had some, uh, she, she's, you know, I don't know, you know, I presume she's working pretty hard and that all she's got all of her ankle issues and stuff behind her, but you, you gotta, you know, she's 31 years old and mm-hmm. she's a pretty big, she's a pretty big woman. So, you know, there's a lot of stress and, and, and push on those joints and muscles and stuff. So, uh, yeah, if she, you know, she's certainly got the goods to win the tournament. She, you know, she's not number one for no reason, but um, I don't know. I, I, have, I have my doubts. I the, think that's a real good point. I just think she's at the point now where she compartmentalizes her schedule so well where, look, I'm going to play very limited events, but the events I play, I'm there to win them, you know. So I think that's pretty much her mindset. You're right about the injuries, although Australia, to me, that's kind of a fluky, you know, a few people had the ankle problems. You saw Lee Na on the final. I, I think it's just one of those things that, yeah, Lee Na returns this week as right. well. Right, Lee Na back. I totally well. forgot about yeah. the uh, no, That's an interesting case, too, because, right. you know... You They're actually in the same court of the draw, I should Right, and they've too. played each other there before, so... It, and that, you've got Carlos Rodriguez now in Lee Na's corner, and I think, you know, it certainly looked like Rodriguez had had a big impact upon Lee Na yeah. when we last saw her at the... And we haven't yeah. seen her since Australia. Right. So, you know, who knows? If she's really gotten herself really fit and has, has really worked and is working hard and is benefiting from the coaching by Rodriguez, she could be super dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Both yeah. of the um, the Williams's, uh first or first matches, I should say, really second-rounders are already set. I think you could have easier opponents than uh, Flavia Panetta for Serena. That's not a not exactly the easiest one, but uh, you know, she will play Thursday night. Venus gets uh, Kimiko Date from Remember still... Wimbledon, the match they had at Wimbledon. Yeah. yeah. Still going on. Still yeah. going strong um, in her 40s, and she, and Date Crum won her first match 2-0. and Still Gosh. figure. That's pretty incredible. Venus is seated 19th. They're, all of both the Williamses, as well as Lina, who I mentioned, Radwanska, Kvitova, all of them are in the um, one half of the draw down here. And depending on what happens, like I said, with Azarenka, you know, if, she, if she goes out, that slot's going to go to a lucky loser, basically. Um, that could be a very one-sided, heavy side of the draw. The you know, the other player in that other who I haven't mentioned who is in Azarenka's half who could really be owning the half if she keeps playing as well as Sharapova who just who just won Indian Wells. Um, you know, Sharapova it, it's a thing where again kind of kind of 
getting kind of making up for still occasionally spotty service issues with really just a you know a game that can cover up that error. She just completely overwhelmed Wozniacki in the final there. Um, you know, any looking at this draw, if you guys have, have taken a look, are there any players or any particular sections of the draw that, that maybe raise an eyebrow? That, you know, the big thing, like I said, is is kind of the disparity in the two halves, particularly um, if Azarenka doesn't play. Well, you touched on the Venus Date Crumb. That's interesting, and that the winner, you know, Stevens could could get the winner of that if they if they uh, if they progress. So that's an interesting one to me. And you know, Kvitova in that section, and Venus beat Kvitova there last year, which was a surprise to some people. And uh, that's an interesting one. But I think, but what Pete said, Lena, that's going to be really exciting to see how she comes back. I'm liking my wild card man, Leighton Hewitt. There, you know, he's uh, he's in a quarter there where he could, um, I guess, an an eighth or a sixteenth, where he can really um, make some progress. Essentially, he can outcompete Gilles Simone. Um, Kevin Anderson is going to be tough because of the big serve, but Tipsarovich has been, you know, he's really been off. He's he's really kind of struggling, I think, you know, partly because of his injury. And then and then you've got Florian Meyer seated in there too. So you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Hewitt emerge from that quarter. You know, what if I told you, Pete, that Lane Hewitt is actually already up six one two love. Oh and, really? And, and this yes, here we go. This is unknown to, to Mr. Bodo here, but that is uh, that is need, the case. Do we need more proof of how well <laughs> yeah. he's going to do? Okay, so he's, so anyway, he's well, he's he's up on Suzanne, and he would get Simone next. That's going to be a tough match. He's number eleven seed Simone, but I think I think I think Hugh has both the game and also the temperament to maybe get through that. So it'll be nice to see. You know, Leighton's been he's been such a role model in terms of his competitive ability for so long. It's always nice to see him do well. Maybe close with a men's winner, uh, since we're kind of finishing on that try. I mean, I um, Djokovic Murray will be the top two seeds there. Um, Ferrer is number three. Like I said, he actually lost his opening match Indian Wells. He played Anderson. That was a as hard of a first round as you can ask for. Basically, um, Burdich Del Potro. Um, one thing I, w- I remembered when I was looking at this draw for for something was. Uh, I was possibly thinking that one of one of players in the round-edged query area um, could perhaps take take advantage of where Burdich is. Burdich obviously playing into the semis at Indian Wells. Um, you know, it, it's it, I think it's an opportunity for those guys, but you know, with all of them, it, it does seem like they we, we kind of expect them to do more than maybe we really should. So, um, any thoughts on a men's champion? I'll I'll close with with that to you guys. Well, I'd love to say Delpo. I think he's coming in tired, though. I think I, I think he. I just sense that he's ready to sort of elevate his game to take one step closer. Look, the guy's never won a Masters 1000, which is which is really kind of shocking. I think he'd have to avoid Djokovic to do it, but I don't. But I don't disagree with liking Del Potro a lot at this event. But I, I think I think asking him to beat Djokovic again would be. An incredible ask. They would meet in the semis. I'm pretty sure. Um, Richard, any thoughts on? I your... mean, I you know I hate to to go chalk, but I, I have to go with Djokovic if I had to pick one guy just because he's played. Oh, what's so... funny, you come on? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean you know just he's played so well there, and I think that you know sometimes you lose those close. You know he might look at that match against Del Potro, even though Del Potro played very well, as he let it get away. He's up three zero in a third. He usually closes those. So I think he might be a little bit you know extra motivated there. That that Sanga section is a little interesting with Nalbandian up there and Klezan is a you know he can be dangerous and you got Isner and Chilich up there but uh, Sanga's played well there you know Dimitrov beat 
Burdich in Miami last year. He could play Murray if Murray gets by the Tomic uh, Jaquel winner. So that's that's an interesting one too. I, I I mean I'd have to go with Djokovic just because he's so good on hard courts and he's won there. Uh, Wait, well, okay, listen, it's not like I'm betting my house on, on Del Potro. <laughs> a guy who's been interesting to me right until this current run by Del Potro that I've been thinking about was uh, I think Tonga's also ready to make to even more so I think than Berdic to. Just sort of get through on a hard yeah. court. And, I think the only thing with him is they get to his backhand. The best guys, not not the guys, but I think when he gets to those big, they're able to get to that backhand. And he sometimes looks, what does do I want to hit the one-hander, the two-hander? Am I gonna? He looks a little bit not disorientated, but just indecisive on that side. Although with Rashid, maybe maybe he'll be a little more decisive. Pete, you'll be down there on Sunday, am I correct in saying that? Sunday, I'll be arriving there Sunday afternoon, hopefully checked in and ready to go Sunday. Fresh out of the penalty box tonight. Fresh out of the penalty box, exactly. Yeah, so look for Pete's uh, dispatches from Keep Biscayne down there, along with all the other coverage on Tennis.com. Pete does not leave Keep Biscayne either. He doesn't go to the No, mainland. I stay on the <laughs> Silver Sands. He's an island guy. Best little secret on Keep Biscayne. There you go. If any of you guys are staying there, just uh, call the bellhop and he'll get you there. So... Um, thank you to you both. We'll uh, be in touch during the tournament as well. Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. Tennis.com.